Hi, I'm Gregory Sinclair. I'm a resident artist here at Soulpepper and the Warren West Director of Audio Programs. Welcome to our podcast of the Soulpepper Saturday Cabaret. Raul Benesia is a Toronto-based actor and he's also a gifted blues musician. What he's been doing as part of our cabaret series is sitting down with some of this country's best blues players, they play some tunes together, and have what are sometimes very revealing conversations about a life in the blues and the music business in this country generally. Thank you, folks. Please welcome to the stage a gentleman who's got a great career behind him and many years of playing in front of him. He was just not that long ago in Edmonton headlining one of the great blues festivals, the Edmonton Blues Festival. Put your hands together for our good friend, Mr. Paul James, ladies and gentlemen. Howdy, folks. So, Paul, um, as I mentioned to you when I asked you to join us here, our friends Danny Marks has done one of these. Our good buddy Ken Whiteley did one of these. Um, where we like to start is, uh, we always like to start with music. So, why don't you start with a tune that you would consider something that was by an influence of yours uh, in the blues. And we'll, uh, and then after we play it, we'll talk a little bit about it. One of the guys that I always came back to was uh, Robert Johnson. He was the, the main guy for me. Uh, when I, you know, listened to Muddy Waters, you know, everybody um, after him talks about about him. Even the Rolling Stones were influenced by him later on, and Eric Clapton. And uh, here's a guy who sort of died and <clears throat> won a Grammy 50 years after his death. But he was a guy who could play, um, uh, I guess it was like the solo blues man. Uh, so he just traveled and uh, accompanied himself. And uh, But he was, I think, uh, the best at the time of the guys that I heard. And he had a way of uh, playing the bass and the um, and the chords at the same time. This is one called 3220 Blues. Maybe I'll try this one just myself, just the, the one. And... I sent for my baby, man, if she don't come. If I sent for my baby, man, if she don't come. Well, all the doctors in Toronto just can't help her none. And if she gets unruly and thinks she don't want to do, if she gets unruly and thinks she don't want to do, I take my 3220 and split her half in two. Got a 38 special, but I believe it's most too late. She's got a 38 special, boys. I believe it's most too late. I got a 3220, gotta make the caps on that. Hey, 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 baby, where you stayed last night? Hey, 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 baby, where you stayed last night? You got the hair all tangled and shoes ain't on the right. Shoot my pistol, got to shoot my gatling gun. I gotta shoot my pistol, got to shoot my gatling gun. Now you made me love you, now your man have gone. 
If I send for my baby, man, if she don't come. If I send for my baby, man, if she don't come. All the doctors in New York City just can't help her none. Hey, hey, baby, where you stayed last night? Hey, hey, baby, where you stayed last night? Well, you didn't come home till the sun was shining bright. Her 38 special boys that do very well. Her 38 special boys that do very well. With the 3220 man, it's a pointing. If I send for my baby, man, if she don't come. If I send for my baby, man, if she don't come. Well, all the doctors in Toronto just can't help her none. Ah, oh, boys, I just can't take my rest. Ah, oh, boys, I just can't take my rest. With the 3220 laying up and down my breast. So Paul, that's a, not an easy guitar style to learn, and I'm fascinated to know if those were if, if Robert Johnson was among one of your early influences in the blues. How the heck did you learn to play like that? How did you learn that tune? Did, were you sitting in front of a record player, figured out, or did someone show you? Well, there was no YouTube back then, <laughs> so you couldn't see anybody else do it, and uh, so it was. Uh, <clears throat> I guess you know it was uh, it was it was a love that started for me um, about uh, in the late '60s uh, when I discovered um, discovered him. You know, at, at that time there was only one album out. Right. Then I'm talking vinyl, and then a second album came out. But uh, um, I was uh, I I was playing. Uh, you know, I, I started the blues uh, by, you know, hearing the British Invasion, like a lot of Canadian kids uh, at that time, I think, because um, the blues had been suppressed in, in the United States, and um, all that music that the Beatles and the Stones and the Yardbirds, the Pretty Things, the Animals, the Kinks, um, were doing was uh, they started off playing like Chuck Berry, Bo Diddley, John Lee Hooker, uh, you know, a lot of early blues stuff. I mean, the, you, you probably, you know, when I, when I heard Long Tall Sally by the Beatles, I thought it was them. You know, I was only 12 years old or whatever. But, uh, and then Roll Beethoven by the Beatles or Old Carol by the Stones or Mona by the Stones, or I Just Want to Make Love to You by the Stones, or <laughs> Little Red Rooster by, you know, and then all of a sudden you find out, well, Howlin' Wolf uh, originally recorded this, or Muddy Waters recorded this, and then uh, Chuck Berry, and Bo Diddley, and Little Walter, and Jimmy Reed, and, and so it was like, oop, gotta go to uh, <laughs> Sam the Record Man upstairs, where they, so the, it was probably the this was when Sam the Record Man had one store. There right. was no franchises and everything. And 
And uh, was that on Young Street at the famous location we, that's we correct, know of recently? At Young Street, A and A set up next, or Sam's set up next to A and A's, I think. Cause, right. Uh, well, you guys are advertising records already. Oh, <laughs> just go next. <laughs> Fifty cents cheaper. <laughs> anyway, so upstairs was the blues and jazz section. So, like, you go up there, and this was the only place. It was sort of like this oasis of where you could find this music, which no one was into other than musicians who were sort of, well, there's probably some other people who were into it, but like it was almost like being a prospector, you know, like you didn't know what you were going to get. So you're, uh, you're up in your bedroom, you're woodshedding, you've been listening to the greats like Robert, and you've been listening to Muddy. And can you tell me a little bit, Paul, about your first time when you, st like, how did you become, what was your entrance into being a performer in front of people? What was your first time you ever played in front of people, your first gig? Uh, my grade eight graduation. <laughs> <laughs> now, didn't you have a gig? What, what, you told me a story a long time ago about. When I graduated at a, at a, at a high school, uh, about 17 or something like that, anyway, I, uh, answered an ad in Long and McQuaid's music store, of which there was only one. <laughs> and it was on Yorkville, at Yorkville and Young. Hence Yorkville Sound. But um, these guys wanted a guitar player for a, for a band. And uh, uh, I had always been playing, um, uh, I started playing when I was you know, around 12. Uh, guitar. I played accordion when I was seven, but but uh, but really guitar. But I really got into it, and you know, I was practicing hours and hours a day. And um, so the guys I was playing with, I'd sort of outgrown them. Even they were my my friends, and we started bands together and stuff like that. But I was a little bit more serious. I, you know, they weren't keeping up, and so. Um, I answered this ad from Mama McQuaid's, and it was these guys that were old. They were like 26. Ooh. You know, they're almost 10 years older than me. But uh, so I went, and it, and it was in downstairs in a bar. And uh, at that time, you had to be 21 to be in to go into bars. And uh, so the the owner didn't seem to mind, uh, and I they, I passed the audition with flying colors. And uh, got into this three-piece band, and and the guy said, "Well, uh, the drummer was the leader, and he was singing all this, I don't know, Wilson Pickett stuff and okay. like like uh, R&B stuff." R&B, yeah. And uh, but he said, "Can you sing something?" And I I think I did "Hoochie Coochie Man" or something right. like that, and I'm a King B or something. So, oh, well, that's really good. Let's keep that in the act. And then slowly kept on downloading songs, and eventually I was singing like 90% of the songs, <laughs> and. Uh, um, we played a bunch of gigs, and it was really an eye-opener for me, just playing in bars and right out of school. But then we got this gig. I think I, I just maybe turned 18 at the Bermuda Tavern on Young Street, which... Um, Where was I, that? That's right at just uh, a, a little bit uh, south of um, Gerard. Okay. And it's owned by the same people who own the Zanzibar and oh, the yeah, Brass right. Rail. <laughs> which got changed to the Young Station in Brass Rail. I'm not sure what it's called now. Right. And uh, sadly, 
my Bermuda Tavern where I, 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 I was, did a house gig for two years is now called Remington's. Oh, it's the men the, for, for male dancers. For male nude dancers. So uh, uh, I haven't been in there since. <laughs> <laughs> Not that there's anything, anything wrong, wrong with that. Uh, but um, uh, at the time, it was a topless go-go dancer. There was three topless go-go dancers. They were not near the stage, but it, it wasn't striptease, but it was go-go. That was, was what was happening in those days. But anyway, I was happy as a rat in a cheese factory to be <laughs> working a, as a musician and actually getting paid. You know, like uh, what were those nights like? Like how how much did you we, play? Well, we 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 started at seven and went to one. And Harry uh, Cooper, who's who. Um, he was the um, <clears throat> the father of Irv Cooper, who ran the An uh, or Dave Cooper, who ran the Zanzibar, and Irv Cooper, who ran the Brass Rail. And so they, I guess, they wanted to give him a job. So they said, "Well, just make sure the band goes on time." So we'd uh, we'd be, you know, on right <laughs> on time. So we did six forty-minute sets Woo! Uh, every night, and then three more on Saturday matinee. So, so Saturday uh, was a nine-set yeah, day. Yeah, it was a nine-set day. But um, it was sort of like, you know, you hear about the Beatles playing Hamburg right. and playing for eight hours every day and seven days a week and stuff. But they really, it was a, a really good way to get a repertoire together and learn, you know, a lot of songs and, and you know, practice in front of people. You know, I think like musicians now don't get that opportunity because everything's one-nighters. You know, like even all the clubs, the bars and that used to be like a week. You'd go for a week and you play a week. And um, but um, so for two years, did the Bermuda Tavern, and uh, eventually I ended up being the uh, only. Uh, original member of the band, although I started off being hired. And, and the age uh, turned to, uh, while I was 18, it turned to 18, so I could take off these dark sunglasses that I always wore. <laughs> and um, and I, could, uh, I used to go downstairs in between sets, but I could actually talk with people in the audience. And then the next year, the age limit changed to 19, so I was still legal, <laughs> you know? So it was, I was lucky to be on the right day. Now, what, uh, what, what kind of tunes would you have done back uh, at the Bermuda? So when well, you was, had go-go dancers, that, what do you have to that, play? At that point, I was, a I was becoming a blues purist. Other than <laughs> I, I liked the, the, the covers that the Rolling Stones did, and I did like Bob Dylan. I thought he was sort of a kind of acoustic blues singer. Right. And even his electric stuff was really, you know, he'd get a blues band to back him up. So there was something about his music that I liked. And other than that, I was, you know, going to listen to, you know, Muddy Waters, Holland Wolf, and all Buddy Guy, Junior Wells. And uh, the beauty of playing the Bermuda for two years was um, Young Street at that time had the Colonial Tavern, which was um, the blues place for musicians. And they would play for a week, like in a bar, you know, and you could go in between sets, if you were me, and run down there and hope that the band was on when I got there. And um, the doorman knew who I was. Uh, uh, oddly enough, his name was Rocky, and he ended up 
being at the Isabella Hotel years later and uh, being the manager there. So, uh, but at that time he said, oh, it's Paul James, let him in. Uh, he's going to stay for 10 minutes and run back to <laughs> his back gig. To his and job. So I would go in and, and it would be especially, you know, you'd have to do this gig six nights a week for two years and and there'd be a lot of rainy Tuesday nights and stuff. <laughs> and that would be the best night to go because um, uh, there'd be no one in the Colonial hardly. Like it'd be very sparse. And, uh, and you, you know, I'd get right up close and I was just soaking it up like a sponge because here was this guy, you know, guys that these musicians that I discovered. Um, and I thought no one else knew about them, you know, or very few people. Because I'd go up to stand on the record man, like I said, and I'd, be, I'd look through, the, and there'd be two records, and I'd get fun, <laughs> you know. And there wouldn't be, it wouldn't be another one in the city, probably, you know, right. and, unless they ordered another one in. They didn't, you know. So it was, so it was really. Uh, who were special. some of the guys you saw when you'd sneak down? I to saw the Muddy Waters quite a few times, uh, Howlin' Wolf, uh, Jimmy Reed, John Lee Hooker, Buddy Guy, and Junior Wells. They used oh, to come as yeah. a team. And it was funny, like, because sometimes, I, like, you know, I like I go on those off nights and they'd be drunk, you know, and <laughs> Shut up with each arguing other. <laughs> and, like, and you know, storming off the stage. Yeah. I'm watching all this stuff go down. It was like a theater, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and some of the great jazz artists also played there, like Thelonious Monk and um, uh, Charlie Mingus and everybody. I mean, anybody who was... That was the place. It was like you could see all these guys in a bar. And then they'd even do a matinee on Saturday, too, which was amazing. Let's do a little bit of Jimmy Reed. Jimmy Reed's good. Are you going to play hard? You got me running. You got me hiding. You got me run out, out, run. Any way you want to let it roll.
I'm going in, I'm going out, I'm going in, out, out, in, in, and when you want a little room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got me doing what you want me, baby, what you want me to do. Jimmy Reed with no heart, but you know. Oh. <laughs> so, um, Paul, you're um, you've been playing, you're playing on Young Street. You started your own band. You uh, recording your own music. Disco came, punk came. We're moving into the 1980s, and I know one of the things that would happen for you is that not only when you started out, you would go watch the big blues guys as they came through town. But what started to happen as you became more established in town is that you started to get the call, not just to uh, open for these guys, or but you got the call to start playing with these guys. So can you tell me a little bit about Bo Diddley? Okay. I'm going to be switching guitars, I can tell. <laughs> Bo Diddley was my first mentor. I mean, uh, I... We really hung out and talked a lot. And okay, became, how did that happen? How, how does that happen? What was happening was there was a guy named Neil, Neil Dixon who um, had a club called Bumbles or Mumbles or something on Jarvis Street. And he also booked the Elma Combo, which was just getting started. Uh, uh, they were sort of, they wanted to do something that the Colonial was sort of doing. And they wanted to bring in blues artists upstairs at the at the Alma Combo, and downstairs at that time was only country and western. Right. And I wanted to play Alma Combo because it was just down the street from where I lived. So when Bo Diddley was coming coming to town, like Neil Dixon, had come, who was booking the Alma Combo, came to see me play, liked what I was doing. I was doing Bo Diddley songs. I was doing all blues and stuff like right in the the you know, but I wasn't from out of town, so I couldn't play upstairs at the Elma Combo. They wanted, you know, Buddy Guy and Bo Diddley and Willie Dixon. And so when Bo came to town, he was coming without a band, and they had to get a backup band for them, and they probably didn't have a big budget. So they came to me. And, uh, and so uh, I said, yeah, you know, we're already doing a bunch of his songs and love it. And... And, uh, you know, I was really into it. And my thing was, I'm going to make this guy look good. I'm going to, you know, I'm really going to learn the material and we're going to back him up. We're not there to grandstand and steal the show and all this here jazz. We're there to, you know, really supply good backup for him. And there was going to be no rehearsal and we were scared about that. And uh, so we, we met uh, right before the show. And uh, for about half an hour. <laughs> and uh, we did a couple songs, and he said, fantastic, this is great, this is going to work, you know. Wow. Cause it, uh, I'm I sure he, he didn't have that experience everywhere he went. No, I don't think so either. Uh, uh, but uh, anyway, it, it worked out. And we, uh, Lick and Stick opened the show. And, like, guys are, 
everybody in, in this in entertainment business goes through waves and troughs. It's a constant thing, whether you're the Rolling Stones or Bob Dylan or Bo Diddley. Uh, and he was on a trough. And um, Lick and Stick was a, we, were, we, we had a following in Toronto. Like I said, we played six nights a week. And we were, we really had a big following uh, of, of fans. And they were all willing to pay to come and see, Bo, see us with Bo Diddley. And a lot of people came to see Bo Diddley too, of, of course. Uh, and so we, we b with our both crowds, I guess, we packed the Alma Combo six nights sold out every night. And uh, at the end of it, uh, and it was very interesting playing with Bo because, you know, I'd be watching him like a hawk. You know, I was really, you know, at a stage where I was learning everything I could. And here was a guy who played guitar and sang, you know, which is, that's what I did, and, and wrote his songs. But he also moved around and did all this, you know, I mean, like Elvis Presley used to watch Bo Diddley in the wings when he was an usher at, at the theater there. And, and uh, so... I realized at that point I had to be an entertainer. I'm just sitting down playing right now, <laughs> which is, you know, so you still got the moves, coffee man. House thing. But when I play with a band and in a club, I'll be all over this room. <laughs> it's, uh, it's just something that I, it isn't what Bo Diddley did, but it was something that I still picked up from Bo Diddley the whole entertainment aspect of the, of the thing. open tuning so that it's tuned to one chord now I'm gonna do one here I think uh, called pretty thing and uh, uh, there was a band in England named their band after the song pretty things and uh, this, is, this one goes like this. Uh, it's a Bo Diddley song.
Diamonds, so little queen of spades. Come on, baby, let's get on a creeping way. Ladies and gentlemen, Paul James. Thank you. Paul, we just got a few minutes left, but uh, when I think about our chronology here, you've taken us into the 
into the 90s. And, um, you know, one thing I think is so cool, which you mentioned to me just before we started, which is you said, you know, now I don't really uh, hunt for gigs as much. You kind of uh, wait for the phone to ring, and the phone does ring uh, for great festivals and jobs and, and, uh, and work, which you deserve for all the years you put in, and you still put on a hell of a show. I'll tell you, folks, there's pictures of Paul this year playing the Beaches Jazz Festival, and he's playing Street Fest, where he is playing three nights straight in 40-degree humidity, <laughs> full out, all out, like you were back at the Bermuda, and here you are on Queen Street East doing it. And so... That's good for you. <laughs> he keeps you young, man. So what are you going to take us home with, Paul? What do you want to do? What should we take it out with? This, this is one... Um... Yeah. Uh, well, uh huh. I was gonna say join out back. Yeah, this do join out back. Do join out back. Um, yes, sir. My pleasure. When when I first wrote this song, I think Pierre Trudeau was the the prime minister, and uh, now his son is prime minister, and. Uh, it was sort of a kind of a social commentary kind of song for a young lad to be writing at in his very early 20s. Anyway, pretty soon it's going to be join out front, I think. So I better do join out back right now. Listening to Raoul's Blues Interviews, recorded live at the Soul Pepper Saturday Cabaret in the TD Studio at the Young Center for the Performing Arts. Join us for our next podcast, hosted by Tom Allen and music director John Millard, as they explore the contents of the lost Canadian songbook. They'll be performing some truly legendary songs, standards you maybe didn't know were actually penned by Canadians. And about to get your eyes to light.
joint will open next week Moves down the track Name of the place Join out back At the joint To see who's upcoming on our Saturday Cabaret series, visit the website soulpepper.ca, click on the Performances tab, and find Soul Pepper Music. Now you can also hear previous podcasts of all of our Saturday Cabarets. Just find the media file and stream or download one or all of them for free. And don't forget, you can purchase our audio recordings of Spoon River, Volume 1 of the New York City Cycle of Concerts, The Melting Pot, as well as a very Soul Pepper Christmas on iTunes or at soulpepper.ca. Music funding at Soul Pepper is made possible by a gift from the Slate family, and our audio recordings are thanks to the support of Richard Wernham and Julia West. I'm Gregory Sinclair. We'll see you next time. Yeah, exactly.